Ugh, another pointless video call where nothing gets done. I think you're on mute, David. Uh, oh, uh, sorry. What did I miss? IT just approved Miro for the whole company. Miro? That's the... Online whiteboard. For team collaboration. We can make these long video meetings so much shorter with Miro boards. We can share ideas, feedback, and updates on them whenever. Actually see what we're talking about. It's all online. Miro will make our flexible work setup so much easier. With one virtual space for our brainstorms, projects, presentations. Oh, that sounds kind of amazing. So I don't need to wake up for 6 a.m. calls with the London office anymore. Now you're getting it. Don't let time zones get in the way of your team working well together. See why 99% of the Fortune 100 trust Miro to get good work done from anywhere. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hello and welcome to the Boys in the Band podcast. I'm Peter Smith. And I'm Richard Gallagher. And on this week's show, we're joined by James New from Mumra. Yeah, great guy. Good fun this one, weren't it, Rich? It was, uh, yeah, yeah, really good guy. Yeah, really enjoyable chat as well. Um, got a real sense, like, with James, looking back now, how much he treasured that experience of being in the band, basically playing with his mates, going on tour with his mates. And as he explains in this little clip, um, that bond they had perhaps made the band into more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, because we, I mean, I think we realised having then we've all done different kind of music things since and I think we've realized you know as we've got got on in life that we had a really sort of special connection none of us could really play very well but I think when you put us together on the stage there was something particularly live that was actually really great about about that band it was just a bit we we only worked it out once we've broken up (laughs) (laughs) She's Got Your High is of course their standout song it really went global when it was picked up for the 500 Days of Summer soundtrack. So we chat to James about the impact of that song, which frustratingly for them, came just after they'd split. Yeah, what could have been, eh? But um, we also chat to James about his reflections on their album, some memorable live shows, including one at Fuji Rock Festival, which actually brought the band to tears. Uh, plus, we also get the latest from him on their recent release and plans for releasing further new music and getting back out on the road. Yep, so check it out. Leave us a review and then share your memories of the band with us on our social media channels. Remember, we'll have our bonus podcast, My Naughty's number one album, landing on Wednesday. But for now, here's James from Mumra. Enjoy. Now, on this week's show, we're joined by James New, the lead singer of Mumra. James, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Very well. How are you? Yeah, all good, RN. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Thanks for coming on, James. Great to have you on. Um, we'll get into Mumra in a moment, but we always start our podcast with a sound check. Three quick fire questions to get us warmed up. And the first one oh, is... Oh, God. <laughs> the first one's not too tricky, so we're, we're easing you in. It's where are you? Where am I? I'm actually... I'm in, my, I'm in my house, obviously, but I'm in my... Weirdly, in my housemate's room, which I've been put in because everybody's listening and watching Bake Off downstairs. Oh. <laughs> so I've been put in a corner of the house. <laughs> we'll all be watching it on catch up in about an yeah, hour's absolutely. time after this. <laughs> <laughs> Where about his home, James? Uh, I'm in Peckham in South London. Oh, oh, good nice. man. Good, just around the. Around the uh, south circular from me, I'm in south south east London. So uh, ah, good to good. have you, a local one. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Second question in the soundtrack, James, is uh, what are you listening to at the moment? 
Oh, good question. Um, it's funny actually. I'm I'm with my my little brother, who's um, he's at, he's seventeen, and of course at seventeen he's a complete no ill, and he's just re he's really got me into the Tyler the Creator, the Eagle Records. So I've been listening to that a bit. I've been listening to this. Uh, I don't know if you know him, an artist called Salt, uh, yeah. which was all yeah. kind of like shrouded in mystery. They put like four albums out this year, like really quickly, and nobody knew who they were. Uh, and that sounds incredible. I love, I'm loving that. And I'm loving the Michael Kiwanuka records as well, the new one. Yeah, That's yeah Mercury Prize winner, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely, can't go wrong. I just uh, I have to say, James, just thought of that Art Brute song. My little brother just discovered rock and roll. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he's only 17 oh God, and he's out of control. <laughs> Does anybody else feel that sports team, the new sports team, yeah. sound like yeah. Art Brute? And no one's yeah, mentioned yeah. it. It really, oh, yeah. it really reminds me. Oh, I'm so into that, that band. Definitely my band of 2020, I think, um, so far. The sports team. Yeah, yeah, great band. Yeah, really good. Right, uh, third question in the sound check, James. Uh, gigs, obviously a distant memory for us now, but uh, can you pick out a good band that you saw live in 2019 or maybe the first few months of 2020? Oh, a good band. Oh, God, that is a tricky, that is a tricky question. All right, who did I see? Racket, I was, it's funny, actually, because had I, I would have probably said sports team because live, they're fantastic. And I was like them and... Happy Mill Limited that were, were around like about a year before were like proper old school, visceral, exciting, energetic live shows, which to be honest, you don't get quite as much of now. If you know what I mean, a lot of a lot of music is recorded sort of in studio settings. So you don't get as much live stuff. I would love to see Idols. I think Idols live would be really, really exciting, but I haven't seen them yet. Cool. Put it on the list for 2021, maybe. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, on to Mumra James, and so we'll start off with the name. Always, always ask, but uh, so who was in the band? In the band was the Thundercats fan. It was, you know, not many bands get to say this, but it was the sitar player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we we formed when we were about, I think we were 14 or 15. We were still at school. And uh, yeah, we, we all kind of like got to pick an instrument. And obviously me being the egomaniac went, I'm going to be the singer. Uh, and we, we kind of, there were like six or seven of us in, in our friendship group. So by the time we got to Carl, uh, he, he was like, well, all of the guitars are gone. Can, can I play sitar? And we're like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> so he bought a sitar. Uh, and it was, it was him. It was him who came up with the, with the Mumra plan, I think. Cool. So obviously fun name, but um, you know, no band, gets to record an album, gets signed, gets to play sort of the big festivals that you guys played without getting serious at one point. And, uh, you know, I know you guys all sort of turned away from going to uni to concentrate on the band. Is that right? That feels like a, yeah, a big step for teenagers yeah. to go. Yeah, we're going to take this seriously. Well, absolutely. Well, the first thing we did was kick out the sit-up player. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Carl, if he's listening, that was, that's that. Uh, but no, we, we did at some point... Um, because, yeah, I think we were probably playing very much just for fun and doing sort of local gigs around Hastings for the first sort of three or four years. And there must have been a point where we thought, oh, actually, we're, we're getting reasonably good at this. And I think, yeah, after college, we, we decided to give it a year uh, and take it seriously. We kind of scrapped every single song we've ever written, realising that we... <laughs> they weren't very good, probably. And, uh, and just, yeah, and started again... Uh, I think someone had probably, I think we got hold of like, you know, 
a Strokes album, but was still listening to quite weird stuff like Gorky Psychotic Monkey and like Super Fairy Animals and things like that. So it was like it was it was meant to be a bit of a hybrid. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah. Luckily, somehow we did actually manage to get a deal and, and do it. God knows how. Certainly wouldn't happen now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that, yeah, you got that deal and you were, you were signed up and you also signed up to go on the enemy tour with the automatic, the view and the horrors in 2007. So that must've been a fun tour to go on. What, what are your memories of that time and that, that buzz that sort of built around Mumra at that time? I don't know. I, honestly, I have no memories of it because we were so <laughs> drunk all the time. <laughs> uh, but no, it was it, it was uh, it was obviously really that was a really that was a special memory for all of us because we'd spent. I, I don't know if you you know you recall this, but that, those tours were quite a big deal back back yeah. in the day. And uh, like only a couple of years before, I think we'd all gone up and seen that really amazing one where it was like the Kaiser Chiefs block party the future heads and the killers like all on one roster and we actually we ended up going to the london one of that as well um somehow we managed to blag ourselves on the killers guest list by (laughs) by stalking them basically is what we did um and so we were that that was always like that was always like the big one to go to every year so to actually be on it and i mean i remember we were so excited as well because it was like a real heralded spot that first being first on the, on, on the enemy spot. It was like, I think Coldplay had done it. Like um, Kaiser Chiefs had done it. Someone else absolutely massive had done it. I can't remember. I can't remember who. And it was like, right, that's it. We're going to be, we're going to be massive. And we were like the first band ever not to like (laughs) fully break from getting that slot. We kind of, we ruined the tradition for every band afterwards. (laughs) But yeah, great times. Yeah, because we've had um, we've had uh, Ewan and Robin from the Automatic on the show uh, before. Oh, and really? Oh, yeah, God. great fun those guys, and I uh, can imagine we, they would have been a laugh on tour with. They were great. They were really great fun. Actually, we we toured with them a lot because we we sort of I guess we came up at you know obviously quite a similar time, and we played their headline. Uh, we but we, we supported them on their tour before, so we we got to know those guys. We got to know those guys really well, and. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. I remember we spent a lot, of, you know, we shared a, a dressing room with the horrors pretty much every night. And uh, all of us, you know, sort of went into that tour, not knowing much about 60s garage music, but we came out <laughs> absolute connoisseurs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant. And, and to be, a week, they, they were probably some of the best shows we played as well, I think. I think that was, that was the moment where we sort of felt like we were, uh, you know, getting pretty good at our craft so it was a it all it was a yeah it was a really special time i mean you obviously must have had some good songs in the bank already by that point to be sort of touted by enemy as sort of the next next one to watch so tell us a little bit about how those songs came together for that debut album uh these things that move these things move in threes sorry and um yeah just how that process worked really um well like i said we sort of scrapped everything and we 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 sort of start we started again we kind of gave ourselves like this this year to write what we thought were pop songs but of course we were sort of 18 at the time so our idea of what an actual pop song was was completely skewed like we were still very naive and when you look at things like she's got you high we thought yeah i mean obviously it is a good pop song but like in terms of the structure it's absolute nonsense it just sings she's got you high about eighteen thousand times it doesn't uh, doesn't have a clue what it's doing um but uh yeah so uh, that that yeah i don't really know how it came about but essentially we 
we we somehow managed to get hold of this barn like it was like this farmer out out in the middle of nowhere just outside of outside of uh Bexhill where we all came from we, we got we got hold of this yeah this farmer's barn and apps I mean it was like it was tiny we, we deafened our ears but we were there every day for a year basically and that you know off, off the back of that we essentially wrote that record which was uh which was pretty good and then, and then we kind of got to a point as well where I was like we needed to record them, but every time we kept going to a studio, we kept just, we just weren't very good live or so, or it just never really kind of quite came together. So I managed, my nan for my 18th birthday gave me the option of either having a car or having like this 16 track digital recording thing. I was like, oh God, I really want the car. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously I'm 18, but luckily I did choose the 16 track and I think a few weeks later recorded She's Got Your High on it. So that was handy. <laughs> yeah, good <laughs> choice. Um, you said you were sort of, yeah, trying to write pop songs, but what were the sort of influences? What were the, uh, the music? You know, you mentioned Super Furry Animals earlier. Were, mm. there, were there bands you were trying to sort of, um, sort of take a lead from in terms of what songs you were writing? Yeah, we were listening to, like, we were listening to sort of bits of post-punk. We liked a lot of sort of like XTC and sort of like slightly madder things where there were obviously like really great melodies involved but but that they would occasionally you know just change the time signature or change the tempo or do something a little more unusual within that I think that was always we always sort of wanted to take that idea but make sure that whatever those moments were it was still really melodic and it was still really hooky and that was kind of that was that was the basic plan really be really weird but be really poppy at the same time (laughs) Yeah, and then so once you actually laid that album down, what your what your memories of the the reception of the debut album and and your reflections on it now? Um, I it's weird. Like if you've ever been through the process of making a record, essentially if you've done it right, you should probably really hate it by the time you're done with it because you've listened to it so many times that you cannot see the wood for the trees. Like mm. I had no idea if it was any good at that point, but we we did it and i think you know to be honest at the end of that because i don't think i really listened to it for about five years after we recorded it because i just i just heard it too much but reflecting back on it now i think i think yeah i think at the time there was a point where i thought i didn't like it and the reason i didn't like it was because it didn't do as well as we'd hoped it was going to do and as well as maybe we been sort of touted and labels and management and whatnot saying how well it was going to do and then when it didn't do that well then I just kind of my natural reaction was like oh well it's failed massively so it must be shit and I kind of stepped away from it and I think I also probably stepped away from the band a little bit in a way as well because I don't know just that was just, that was just how I felt at the time but listening back to it now I, I, I really love it I think there's a there's a really like, there's a naivety to that record where the lyrics and the way that it's written, there's no way that anyone but sort of a group of 18 to 20 year olds could write. Only, only, only a young person could write that, that album. And I love it for that. And obviously yeah. off the back of releasing that album, you ended up playing, you know, getting great experiences, playing shows like Flat Glastonbury and Reading and Leeds and mm. big festivals. Um, you're sporting killers and kaiser chiefs right we talked yeah. about that you know so some great experiences for 
guys who are 18 to 20 and uh yeah yeah just making their way into that industry and yeah i say coming off the back of that debut album and yeah as i say some huge huge bands that you ended up playing with there yeah absolutely it's it's funny looking back at that because at the time i don't think i think all the boys would agree as well like i don't think we quite recognized the how great or experienced some of those things were i mean we mm. toured japan a couple of times we played with these really big bands and i think you get into such a kind of cycle with it you just go oh well this is my this is my life forever now <laughs> and uh you know i mean now that we look back at it we have you know the the way we enjoy it is just chatting back those memories because at the time we were just i don't know we were quite blasé about it to be honest but I recognise now. Wow, that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. We were just uh, like talking recently about <clears throat> the fact that when we played Japan, we played Fuji Rock, and there was like there's about six thousand people in the tent, and every single person knew the last three singles that we put out. Like, what an um, incredible experience to be able to, you know, tell the grandkids one day, <laughs> <laughs> or tell us on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly all that. Yeah. <laughs> It was a it was a really exciting time for music at that that, uh, that little era of uh, indie rock and indie pop that was just loads of bands around at that time. James, who who else did you like from from that time? Who did I like from that time? What from the sort of the around that two thousand seven sort of era yeah. or before it? Uh, I think the the one that the sort of really exceptional album that came out of that for me was probably the first Block Party record. I think that mm. really really stands the test of the time. I did love that Future Heads album as well, the the uh, yeah. debut Future Heads. I just think the way their melody, you know, the harmonies and everything with that, and and the, that kind of well, that's very sort of post punky sound. Like I just thought it was that was pretty genius. So those, those are the two that I can really remember now i really loved some of the more american stuff as well i remember we loved like the spinto band and mm. clap your hands say yeah and yeah that that stuff as well you've put me on the spot there now because <laughs> i know there's obvious there's obvious it's one of those things like someone goes larrikin love and then you're like oh yeah yeah larrikin. <laughs> like, there's so there are so many great so many great bands from that time not according to vice by the way don't well, know if <laughs> Because you, uh, you ended up being going on to an article that followed that, didn't you, James? The the indie yeah, article, I had to, uh, yeah, I had to have our article. I had to have the indie back. Yeah, no, I did. We we did do. It was quite interesting because I think everyone's. It was quite interesting talking to a lot of bands from that time because it turns out as soon as two thousand and nine hit, everyone at the same time went, "Oh, this is shit." Now then, all right, we'll move on. And it seems a bit. I don't know any other like genre or like moment in music where everyone sort of collectively decided something was rubbish in the way that the sort of naughty's indie scene did <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah not that it was rubbish because obviously it wasn't rubbish but it did become there was just so much of it that it just did become quite saturated and there were you know maybe to be honest we were probably in some way part of the problem but there was just so there was just so much of it that it was it was hard to sort of work out what was good or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Yeah, there was it was such a boom time, and as you say, after that, you know, initial rush and then the peak of it, it was, I say lots of bands, yeah, perhaps trying to follow what they they'd seen before earlier in the decade, mm -hmm. 
and mm-hmm. not quite having the skills to match up with the quality. And um, I think I guess the problem with something like that Vice article is it sort of it tars the whole decade or the whole scene with Absolutely. the same brush of this was rubbish. Yeah. But actually, that this completely disregards, yeah. as you say, say that debut Block Party album or the debut Future Heads album, which are completely different and, and a world Absolutely. away from landfill indie, aren't they? So yeah. Yeah, and it's also, you know, it was <laughs> it was a sort of generation of people's time for music. Is that, yeah. I, I mean, like, it was, you look back at any generation and you can kind of cringe in some ways. Obviously, looking at it now, it was a bit of a sort of boys club and there, there were things that, there were things that weren't good about it. But at the same time, it probably was also the last time that you could be like a working class kid from like Hull or Sunderland or whatever and get a record deal. It's, yeah. it's so London centric now that, uh, that I think is one of the, that's one of the best things about that time. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff, James. All right. Well, in part two, we'll chat a little bit more about Mumra and we'll talk about, she's got you high, obviously that huge thing, and how it got picked <laughs> up by, um, by a big movie as well. I want to know a bit nice. more about this story. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. I'm James from Mumra, and you're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. For more naughty nostalgia, check out our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast for more interviews like this. All right, welcome back to the Boys in the Band podcast where we're joined by James New, singer and Mumra. So James, we've spoken about a fun, fast rise in part one for the band. And then you set about writing for album number two. But tell us what happened next in the Mumra story. What, how it all kind of fell apart, are you looking for? The, uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess the so. What, you've, why? Seen the, you've, you've seen, heard the ascent and now you want to you hear about the, the dismal descent. But, yeah. <laughs> why, why that second album didn't materialise, I guess? <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I think in all honesty, we, we, we wrote, we wrote for that second album. I'm going to do the, I'm going to say the cliche thing, but we, ha- we did have a lot of time to write that first album. So, you know, you do spend whatever it is, five years for us, or maybe even a little longer, but five years getting kind of experiences and talking about things and gathering songs and ideas that you thought were pretty good. And then you put them out and then your record label's like, right, we need another one and we need it, you know, relatively soon and i just think for what we did i don't think it was as good and i think at that by that point i sort of felt like that in that kind of scene was starting to you know was starting to pitter out and i kind of i i sort of was already sort of wanting to try something a bit different and i think at some point i think Gareth, the drummer, went to university. So what I'm going to say, I'm going to pin the blame entirely <laughs> on Gareth. So Gareth, when you hear this, it was your fault, mate. You, you ruined it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so this was 2008, wasn't it, when you, you guys sort of um, called it a day? Yeah. yeah, which is, I mean, it's funny because obviously we've sort of 
done a couple of gigs since then and we did one last year which was amazing and maybe we'll talk about in a bit but at the time we just felt I think we felt burnt out we'd done so many gigs and we'd I don't know I think we wanted we wanted to have a little moment of being able to just wear our PJs and have you know <laughs> Marmite on toast and watch Friends for a day or whatever oh god that's an awful awful thing to say but like we, I think we just wanted <laughs> it's like that it was like that it sounds like a lockdown day to me I just wanna, <laughs> I, yeah I just want to mong out and listen to Snow Patrol as Superhands once said um, but I just yeah I, I think we, we just we, we sort of were done with the touring bit and what we probably should have done is just taken a little time out yeah because we I mean I think we realised having then we've all done different kind of music things since and i think we've realized you know as we've got got on in life that it, we had a really sort of special connection none of us could really play very well but i think when you put us together on the stage there was something particularly live that was actually really great about about that band it was just a bit we, we only worked it out once we'd broken up <laughs> <laughs> Because obviously James, so we said split in 2008, and it's a bit ironic, really. The following year, uh, she's got your high got picked up um, as part of the soundtrack for 500 Days of Summer. Obviously, that film with Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, yeah, um, actually, a film that I really like, coincidentally, and um, brilliant soundtrack to that film. Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. Annoying, wasn't it? So, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> really annoying. Yeah, I was, was, was going to come around <laughs> yeah. to it and sort of say, yeah. well, I, I, first of all, I'd be quite interested in the process of how that comes about. You get a phone call from your manager one day saying, "Oh, by the way, they'd quite like this song." But um, yeah, also the impact it had on you know post Mumra split. And did you ever feel like, oh, if that'd come twelve months earlier, we might not yeah. split at all? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I mean, it yeah. is it is definitely, it, it's one of those annoying things that <laughs> really, because, I mean, the amount of people have gone, you know, you could have really, like, toured America off the back of that. It's like, yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, like, what a, what a great thing to have. And, 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 like, in terms of streaming for She's Got You High, it's still, you know, still makes us a little bit of money, which is quite nice. <laughs> it would have been nice 12 months earlier, for sure. Like it, it really would at that at that time when all of the the money was going into us, it would have been fantastic. But no one, to be honest, when when that's when that sync came about, no, we we'd had a couple of other syncs, and we 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 didn't realise. I mean, nobody at that point knew who Zoe Deschanel was. Really, she wasn't like huge, nor was um, was it James Gordon Levitt? It was Zoe, both Zoe of their sort. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, sorry. Um, it was both of their sort of like breakout film, I think, really. Mm. So we kind of said, yeah, didn't really, didn't really think about it. Um, and then obviously it was like an absolute monster. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a good company on that soundtrack. If, um, yeah, if any listeners haven't seen the film or, or heard the soundtrack, you've got The Smiths. Um, Sweet Disposition by The Temper Trap was like the big one coming off that really. Yeah. That, was, that song was just everywhere at that time. Black Clips. Yeah. A couple of Regina Spector songs, Doves, I think, made it on there. Um, yeah, so it's a decent we, soundtrack we, for, an album, uh, for a movie. We're, we're arguably the worst thing on it. <laughs> <laughs> far, far too modest, James. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an absolute tune she's got you high. And did you, you said about the streaming impact of it now. Even now, that's sort of still having an impact now for the band that film yeah i mean it's yeah it's really it's really nice like it, mm. it is one of those songs that seems to always sort of be around a little bit i, he I heard it in a pub recently 
yeah which is always re- which is really strange you're like oh yeah people still actually play this song from time to time uh but yeah it was it was a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange one because i think if if the band were being honest it's probably there it's the classic example of i think it's probably the band's least favorite All right. i love it i absolutely love it because i am like a bit of a pop head but i think the rest of the band probably like the slightly more um the slightly stranger tunes on there <laughs> yeah and and just just uh, just finally on that how did it come around so do you is how does it work do you just get a call from the record company saying by the way we're doing this or do you have to give them permission how does it work yeah we have to uh, you, you have to with any kind of sync you have to kind of everyone has to has to give permission for something but we sort of i think our, our publisher when we were sort of signing the deal they were like is there anything that like you wouldn't that you wouldn't do and besides like the obvious we're like well no, you know unless you know they're selling bombs we're we're, we're probably going to be okay to make a bit of money from it <laughs> that isn't what we said at all <laughs> you can hear that song in all sorts of weird weird and wonderful uh creations out there <laughs> it was picked up by a couple of others wasn't it, it was it's featured in the in between us is that right as well yeah it was it was on the in between us it was i think i think we had a few songs on there or at least a couple uh, uh which is you know it's so synonymous with the time the in between us as well yeah. isn't it it's like yeah. when you think of the noughties i, I immediately think of the in between us <laughs> anyway and then we and then we had a couple of other things as well we had like a hsbc and a waitrose and a few a few bits and bobs and now the uh it's uh it's uh, i've got the uh, copyright back again so if there are any publishers listening <laughs> 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 and they want to sign it uh yeah <laughs> i'm i wait calls <laughs> <laughs> and as you said you're not fussy so it's all fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly we'll, we'll put that song on in a <laughs> just... God, I'm not. I'm not showing myself in the best light here, am I? <laughs> so, um, obviously, following that sort of, uh, sort of later success of that song, you guys did uh, have a bit of a comeback in 2012, 2013. A couple of live shows, a couple of EPs. So, talk us yeah. through uh, that little period. Well, I, thought, I think you talked about the, the fact that we sort of tried to do a, a second record and, and it didn't, it didn't quite materialize. I think essentially everything that we've done that we've been putting out since then was us wanting to have an excuse to do a live show and going, well, we should at least put some new music out. So we've, we sort of just dropped some of the stuff that we were writing back in sort of 2008. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we, I, I think at some point we just all really missed gigs because there is, I mean, there is something, there is something very special about doing a show where everybody, like, with the Mumra shows as well, and I don't know why this is, I think it's because we've just got a very small but quite fairly loyal fan base. Everybody sings every word, and it's just such a, it's just such a special thing to do. I, I have a suspicion that Mumra will do a reunion show every five years until we die because we just can't, we can't, it's just too much fun. And, um, you know, like I say, we're, 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 we're sort of very proud of the fact that we were, that we did what we did and we were part of that scene and we made a pretty, pretty good record. 
Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you mentioned it earlier, back again in 2019, sold out shows in Brighton and London. Um, we, and we, yeah. we mentioned just before we come on as well about the new track, Summer, that's uh, just come out. So yeah, is this just a little... Yeah, good, man. Yeah, well, although I was listening, it, <laughs> listening to it this morning while sat in my car as the rain was lashing against the window. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should have been listening to this song it's a few months one, ago, really. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, yeah. uh, winter blues were kicking in. <laughs> it, yeah. But, but, but um, that's sort of the, that's the first one that we've sort of done actually as a sort of new song. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the plan, obviously, obviously with COVID, everything's kind of fallen apart. But we had um, we had a, we had a couple of other ideas that we sort of want to record at some point. And, and the main reason we wanted to do that was because we, you know, we wanted to do a little tour. So I think at some I don't think it, I don't think it makes sense to to put music out at the moment. But I think at some point when things start to return to normal a little bit, we might start dripping some some more new tunes and then hopefully do like a, yeah a little uk tour because i think we'd we'd all absolutely love to do that <laughs> yeah absolutely that'd be great fun wouldn't it have you got any sort of favorite venues are there any like you'd like yeah we've definitely got to go to there we've definitely got to go and play here oh good question we always what was it that we we always used to yeah i'd love to play that place in bristol called the is it la louisiana that one that you sort of feel like you're in a i don't know if you know but you sort of feel like you're in a living room it's only about 100 capacity but that's a brilliant little venue um where else will we where else will we love oh god you have to do king tarts don't you oh yeah that's yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. That's, an, that's an absolute classic iconic yeah and I don't know if it's still open, but there was one we used to play in Manchester. What was it called? Is it like the Night Cafe or the Night? Yeah, yeah. You have to help me out. Yeah, pretty I sure. I think that's that might have closed down. Manchester. But yeah, and and probably have to do one in Hastings. Actually, very important, seeing as you know we're from those parts. So we, yeah, we I don't know. There used to be a venue called the Crypt that we used to play way too many times. Actually, there's only one venue that we've played more, and it's the Tunbridge Wells Forum which mm. would have to be on the tour as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of interest, but me and Rich were at U- well, Brighton Uni, but Eastbourne Campus. Did you ever play in Eastbourne? Uh, yeah, we did. I can't, oh, I can't remember what it was. I mean, we used to go out there. There was like, Atla- was it called Atlantis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going there, but like in my skinny jeans, thinking I was cooler than everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the what were the venues called? There was maybe King something. Yeah, yeah so there was a nightclub Kings. called Kings. Yeah. That could have I been think a venue. We there maybe. Yeah. Yeah, there was a stage then, upstairs, wasn't there for that? Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the a... one of the clubs there called, uh, turned into someone called Function Rooms. They did gigs for a while, and uh, oh, the Winter Gardens did... was the big place. I think the Function place we we played as well. Yeah. I swear we did, but yeah, we yeah. did. Obviously, we played. We played. Actually, I will tell you where we used to play the Dolphin. The pub oh, called yeah. Dolphin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think yeah. it does gig. It doesn't do gigs anymore. But it used to be like a real sweaty, like proper sort of goth pub. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a real underage, underage haunt. Like you could definitely <laughs> get a point there when you were seventeen. <laughs> Where was it, Rich? Can you remember the name of that upstairs? It, it got turned into that loft, the trendy sort of cocktail bar. Can you remember what that was called before? Because we saw that was basically just an upstairs room, and we saw a good. Saw a good band there, Bromhead's Jacket. We saw. We there. saw Bromhead's there. Yeah, I can't remember what it was really? called. Really? Yeah. Bromhead's played East Bourne twice all year again, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do know where you mean. I think I've been yeah. there as well. I can't. I can't yeah. remember what it was called. 
Anyway, we digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James, I was going to ask you, um, you're talking about um, perhaps dripping out new tunes here and there. In terms of thinking about how the industry is different nowadays to what it was like, say, 15 years ago, is it, do, you, do you think that's an easier thing for, for artists to do now, to, to drip feed songs out without sort of major record label backing and things like that, where you don't have that pressure to record a full album, you can just drop a single here and there? Is that a different sort of approach now for, for musicians? Absolutely. I think streaming has obviously completely changed the game for musicians. And I know, you know, I work as a songwriter now and I know a lot of, a lot of artists that, that do sort of continually do that. They drip feed, a, they do a single every few months and don't really have much of a, you know, the idea, the, old, the idea of like recording an album and putting that out has, has sort of changed. And I think if you, if you do have, you know, if you do have regular listeners, and you can get your sort of Spotify plays up to a certain amount per month, then you can, you can have a really good, you can have a really good career doing that. So yeah, totally. I mean, the only reason that we wouldn't do one every sort of month or so is because we'll end up running out of tracks and then <laughs> it'll be like two years before we get to play. Otherwise, I, I, otherwise I think the best plan for a lot of artists now is to try and get not necessarily even a record deal, but like a, a decent distribution deal where you can get a bit of PR paid for, like not put that much money into it and then just really, you know, try and focus on playlists and, and, and building your, building your career with streams. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the old fashioned way. Obviously the, the, there's still other avenues. Live is, has always been a great way to build a fan base, but I think, you know, streaming is becoming obviously more and more important. Yeah. Time's yeah, changing. Absolutely. Good stuff, James. Been fascinating chatting to you about Mumra's journey and, uh, industry and Eastbourne nightclubs and all sorts that we've covered. <laughs> uh, and we'll just finish up with the encore. So three more questions. And uh, the first one, well, we talked about She's Got You High on a movie soundtrack. You've got a favourite movie soundtrack or a favourite song from a movie? Oh, God, that's such a good question. Wait a sec. Drive. That was a brilliant movie yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, it was. Good shout. Good shout. Yeah, very good. One of you could pick out another favourite here, James. You, you, the favourite Mumra gig you did. Oh, there's there's a few. I, I I think I think Japan was pretty special. I think I, I, if I yeah if I had to pick one, it would be the second time we played uh, the second time we played Fuji, Fuji Rock because I, I just sort of I remember us not really knowing what to expect because the album had sort of I think had just come out and uh, we went out there and when we came off we were all actually pretty teary which doesn't happen all the time. So I think that, that, one, that, one, um, that one really sticks in my mind. But also the, the one that we played at the Lexington last year was because, I, I, you know, a, a lot of the members, you know, the mem a couple of the members have kids now. And, you know, we're all doing very different things in life. But to be able to do that and connect together, at, you know, before even the audience and everything, to do that for for each other and like have that moment with each other that was that was after you know about 12 years of, of not really doing it that was that was really special as well yeah special <laughs> very special um and final question james what's the song you're proudest of oh the song i'm proudest of. do you know what my favorite still going back is, is the opener is now or never mm -hmm. i love yeah. i really i just there's a brilliant moment where I'm trying to rhyme dance with romance, <laughs> which is, which is uh, still a cracker. <laughs> Good choice. 
Yeah, very good. Uh, James, it's been really, really fascinating to he- hear the Mumra story with you tonight. Thanks, thanks for giving us your time. And uh, yeah, we look forward to the new Mumra releases. We're really enjoying summer and uh, hopefully we'll get some more music soon and maybe see you live next year. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, what's the number one reason you should try Instacart? Shopping over 1.5 million unique products from over 1,000 retailers and get everything delivered right to your door in as fast as one hour, all in one app. So you can spend more time with the ones who matter most. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time, $10 minimum per order, additional term supply.